0: What does loyalty mean to you? You know what, here's a better question. What comes to mind when I say the word gangster? According to movies and music and news, it's people shooting in broad daylight in groups and don't care who they hit over what ultimately equates to meaningless situations. There seems to be, in my opinion, a misinterpretation of either word, loyalty and gangster. To me, uh, a gangster presents themselves well, is well-spoken, knows how to deal with people, knows how to handle business. And when it comes time to handle business, they move alone and in the shadows. They're loyal to family and friends. They don't ask questions. They have answers that are none of their concern. They understand their station and stay in their lane. They take the ride alone when them boys come calling and they shut the fuck up when words are not to be spoken. A real gangster is loyal in the game, in business, to their family, to their own life. My name is Jason Farias and this is my Madness Method. I'm watching foot and badges when out in traffic. The 9/11's been a tad bit frantic. If lights start flashing, please don't panic The DA giving out gang enhancements. Can barely even hang the bill case off.: carousel. So By this point in the timeline, everybody has settled in to their roles as part of this we'll say family. Let's do a little recap here. I am back from Arizona. Uh, Chris is running the show with what I left behind. He's living with Rachel. Rachel turns out to be the wizard behind the curtain, pulling all of the strings. He's been arrested awaiting trial. Uh, I've moved on and become members of a different family. Bear is head of that family. He's been raided. Uh, Jamie and I have become friends. She is well ingrained and deep in this Family herself. That brings us somewhat up to speed. When this all first started, I would talk about my team or my squad, and those references are really intended to convey that this was more for fun. This was a party. We were having a good time, supposedly. With this situation here, this family or this organization, this is different. Everybody plays a part and has a role. And uh, there isn't a lot of hanging out and partying. After that raid at at Bear's house, you know, everybody sort of needed to lay low. Let's let this settle down. I mean, it doesn't take the eyes off you, right? If, If you're in a position in this game that cops are swarming your home in plain clothes, laying low doesn't necessarily make them go away. One would hope, but that's not how it works. Jamie and I wound up spending a lot more time together and I began to learn more about the organization. Now to kind of deep dive there really quick, you know, she and I becoming friends was a side effect of what her assignment was. And ultimately what I learned was She was to groom me to assume a position amongst the family. This is part of why I was brought in and allowed in and the reason that my reputation had superseded me, right? So they had actually sought me out to position me amongst the family, so to say. The role I was playing at this point... I was making sure that transactions were occurring so that manufacturing could proceed. I taught who I needed to teach how to do it, and then I stepped away. My job was to manage relationships and ensure that the right people were doing the right things at the right times at the right price. It was actually a really easy job. I mean, I guess any one piece, any one cog could have stopped working and and made my job very difficult. We had gotten into it already that, you know, what I had gone through just to be able to get my hands on pure ephedrine. That's not like there's a a backup plan for that. The backup plan for that is to try to find a way to buy as many Sudafed pills as possible. Even back in the early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s, it was still frowned upon if you're buying an armful of boxes of Sudafed. They knew what you were doing with it. That piece of my job was very easy. And and again, there was no more of this uh, big, flashy, spending money everywhere, having big parties, putting yourself out there. It was much more organized. But as I got to know different players in this family, I started figuring out what other branches (laughs) were involved. You see, my position that I was groomed for here was to not only keep the foot soldiers moving And make sure that they have the things that they need just to operate. But it was to keep our VIPs happy as well. Lawyers, doctors, bankers. And as it turns out, there was a lot of... uh, There was a whole counterfeit side of stuff. There was a whole team of people out there that preyed on banks. And, And here's what's crazy. I don't know if you guys remember much about the whole Wells Fargo scam, right? They were opening bank accounts in people's names to try to boost their numbers and get bonuses and all this bullshit. Everybody's got a vice, right? There's a bad apple everywhere. And in the circles that I was running currently, it was my job to make friends with these people. And this is how you hear about this account or that account or, oh man, I can't believe these banks do this. And while everybody's sitting around talking shit about how a bank could be doing this to people, i'm thinking mm, i think i got used for that information you find the right person with the right addiction or the right dark secret or a hidden lifestyle or a hidden family see alcohol and drugs makes people talk they get a little loose in the lips and they get really sherry you know and the one thing that banks have are these slush fund accounts that kind of belong to nobody and then you gain access to these accounts because now you've got something you've got something to say hey bro here's what i need here's why you're going to give it to me you see because for a bank to start an inquiry in the loss of these accounts they would have to then admit these accounts exist and why these accounts exist i, I don't know but we know the banks are dirty um the bank should be more careful on who they let to have this information this was quite some time ago. I'm sure rules have changed. I'm sure on paper they don't exist anymore. There was a point in time where access to this uh, wasn't as hard as one would think. And if you can get those numbers, guess what? You have access to funds that now mind you, <laughs> nobody's going to turn a blind eye to to money going missing. But if it never really goes missing more than then, then I guess there's no real benchmark, right? You don't drain an account in one day, okay? But anyway, there was a whole branch of this family that explains where the funding came from. You would assume that the amount of drugs that were being produced, that that funded everything. It did not. It it did not. It did not fund homes, and it did not fund cars and just general life but just the same way that I was able to go out and figure out a way to get the raw Fedrin. There was my doppelganger on the other side of this, whom I'll be honest with you. I never met. I had only heard of, but this person found a way to get their hands on a giant tube of magnetic ink. Now, for those of you that may not know, and God, I probably shouldn't even be getting into this, but you know, when you go in the bank and you make a deposit, and they run your little deposit slip through that little weird U-shaped machine that runs through, and what it's doing is it's reading the ink that's on the bottom of that document, and what's in that ink that's magnetic ink, and it's reading the magnet. this, so there's a magnet inside, and it's reading the metal and it's magnetic ink. Okay, it's not reading the numbers per se; it's it's a, a digital sign. That's not something you can just go buy at the store. Those aren't those iodine crystals that you can just get off Amazon that I was talking about. This is a much more sophisticated come up. It takes very, very little to go a long, long way. I had always heard made mention of, of payday with my role, the way it was, I I did not get involved there. I was not even allowed. And to be honest, I never even questioned it. I didn't ask. I, I Like, if you were talking about it, I, I hear what you're saying. But if it doesn't involve me, I ain't asking fucking questions. That ain't my job. That's not the role I play here. I don't need to know your business. And I don't need to know the answers to any fucking questions. That is nothing I need to be involved with. And that was really how this organization held up. If this is your piece you manage, you manage that. And shut the fuck up and go about your way. And that's That's what I did. Now, you know, these different groups would overlap. I had involvement in the the drug group, and uh, these people had involvement in this fraud group, and we all had the station, right? Everybody's got a certain level, and those people at that level would hang out together, but that was purely social. This was for us to just have conversation outside of the game, but who else are we going to talk to? Who's going to talk to people like us? You know, we can only really talk to each other, and we didn't really talk business. We would just hang out. That was our little bit of time. And and that's where the overlap would ultimately happen, but never business involved. I always heard about payday. And what it turns out is that's when checks would be run off of these slush fund accounts, these dump accounts that these banks have. Now, mind you, this was never anybody's personal account. This was just getting at the banks and checks would be printed. And then there was the next level, the next level down, the runners, These go make it happen. And there were key places all around the Valley that would participate in this. And then they knew what was going on and they would then cash the checks and they would keep a piece of it. And these people would keep a piece of it. They did the cashing and the rest of the money came back to the group. This is kind of that downside, these little stores in the middle of nowhere kind of pulling some shady shit. And they're, they're really doing people dirty, man. I mean, there's some hardworking people that don't have banks that need to go into these little small country stores, right? And get their checks cashed. That's really the only way they have to do it. And these little stores are jacking these people like, oh, you're an illegal or you don't have ID or you don't have in a bank. I'm keeping this much of your money. And what are they going to say? There's nothing they could do. I think maybe now today, they probably have more freedom. But in the early 2000s, late 90s, this, this was their life. If you were an illegal here or you didn't have a bank, if you didn't have these fundamentals here, You were drastically taken advantage of, and in turn, we would drastically take advantage of those people. You know, screw them? Ah, Come here, buddy. Let me show you something. This behavior of this counterfeit stuff and the behavior of the drugs and everything that I was involved with, it kicked off a task force amongst the Central Valley Police Divisions. I don't really remember what the acronym for it was. I don't know that I ever really knew it. Officer Harris. That's his real name. Not changing that one. Because you know what? I got to be honest. I have massive amounts of respect for this guy now that I am where I am. Because, you know, I heard some really cool, like, dude would dress up as a woman and be in surroundings where something was going to happen in order to make the arrest. And we used to laugh and laugh and laugh. But you know what? It's not funny, man. This guy was just trying to keep assholes like me and the people I was with from infecting where he lived. And I thank him just for for trying. And the reason I say I thank him, because nobody wants to get fucking busted by the police, right? But what I ultimately learned was this guy had a genuine heart. And I think that gets lost heavy today in the shit we see on TV All we get to see is the violence perpetrated by cops, and these guys have hearts, and they care because it's their community, and they understand that these are people. Nonetheless, this task force existed, not specifically for people like myself and the family I was now part of, but anybody that was wrapped up like we were, though I do feel like we got a lot of their attention. These were the same guys that came and busted up at Bear's house. This was my first introduction, and I don't remember his name. I remember sitting at Bear's house when that happened and looking out the window, and it was um, an Asian-looking gentleman, if I my memory serves me correctly, and he was just in a black shirt and jeans, and he had long hair, like a mullet, like country-style shit, right? And I just waved to him. <laughs> I just, hey! Hi, stranger! What the fuck? <laughs> anyway there's these two pieces of of our family and and mind you below each of these pieces of the family are many other branches it takes a lot to run and fund what it is that i did and it took a lot to run and fund what it was it was happening on the other side it's not like it was myself and this other person and we just were master of puppets you know there was a lot of people under us you know eventually it was it was time to take a bit of a break the one thing that never happened, even though you feel like you're hanging out a lot, you know, what doesn't come with being in the dope game is uh PTO. <laughs> There's no vacation time. You just always seem to be on and always seem to be working. And Jamie and I were hanging out in her garage one day and, you know, getting loaded as we do having a good time. And we just kind of talked about, you know what? Hey, we, uh. We should get out of town. And she was like, yeah. And Cindy was down and Harry was down. And we we're like, fuck this. Let's get out of town. And we're like, you know what? Tomorrow, let's just bounce out to Vegas. Like, fuck it. Let's just go. Everybody kind of agreed because who the hell doesn't want to go to Vegas? So, you know, we made sure the right people, the runners, the duffel bag boys, everybody, we made sure that everybody had what they needed for us to be gone for what could ultimately Four, five, six days just depends on how hard we go. I guess it's not like money was an issue, it's not like drugs were an issue in Vegas. <laughs> Perfect. So we party all night and we uh we head over to Harry's place over on Airport Road. Now, on this property out on Airport Road, which was really kind of between uh Yosemite and the 120 out in the cuts. This property had like two trailers and a house. In order for us to be able to leave, we had to have certain things done. And we'd actually gotten a call that there wasn't enough red phosphorus to do the job that was being done. And we had no time to go get some more, at least not the way that we were able to get it. So we did the old school way and we drove around for a while and we bought all the matches. I mean, all the matches, all the little flip book matches. We went and bought all of them that we could find in town. And we went back to Harry's place and we were in one of the trailers and we just sat there all night and we uh, shaved all the red off of all the matches. We shaved all the red. We piled it all up and, you know, hey, I mean, you got to do what you got to do, right? It's not all glitz and glamour. (laughs) So all night, that's what we did. Come sun up and we thought, all right, let's get rolling. You know, we had gone through all the matches. We all right, we have this much cash, we have this much dope, blah, blah, blah. Let's uh let's load a few pipes. You know, I think we had three different meth pipes we had loaded up. Roadies. <laughs> and uh we bag up now. Jimmy had like three or four duffel bags, uh, sitting by the door, and she had gotten another call, like <sighs> And I swear to God, we're just getting ready to leave and somebody calls and there's an issue. She now has to get dropped off in Modesto. They don't get to come with us anymore. There was something she needed to take care of. And I swear to God, like bags by the door. It's like those shows you watch, like Home Alone. Where's Kevin? Like all the bags are at the door. Everybody's rushing out. And, you know, hey, something came up. Plans changed a little bit. Cindy and I were still going. I still had the money I needed. I certainly had the drugs I needed. Pipes were already loaded. All my people are straight and set up. So, all right, Jamie, get in the car, get your shit. I'll I'll drop you off in Modesto. So it was daybreak. I, I know it was early. God, I love mornings in the country. But it was daybreak. It was a beautiful morning. We threw the duffel bags in the trunk. We all got in. Harry got behind me in the, the driver back seat and then Jamie got in the passenger back and then Cindy and I I drove and she was passenger and we were facing northbound on airport i made a u turn on the airport headed towards 120 we we're just getting settled in getting the music going everybody getting comfortable okay talking a little bit of shit and we get on heading east on 120 and right as i get on And everybody's getting settled in. And like I said, the music's loud. And I'm probably quarter mile down the road. And I look in my rearview mirror. And it's nothing but cop lights. And I said, ain't this a bitch? We're getting pulled over. And everybody froze. Nobody looked. They said, what? And I said, fuck, we're getting pulled over. And when I say we were getting pulled over, it was a DEA van. It was four cop cars. It was a helicopter above us. The freeway was shut down. I I recall seeing four cops sort of, not shoulder to shoulder, but like single file line and staggered. So their guns were all pointed. Each one of them had visibility of us, but they were in a tight unit and they approached the car doing that sidestep thing that they do. And I was instructed to throw the keys out onto the freeway, which I did. And Officer Harris comes up to the passenger door and he looked and he knew exactly where she was. He popped his head in and said, good morning, Jamie. Now see Jamie and Officer Harris Jamie and Officer Harris had a relationship. It's not their first run in. She's done some time. Like he's always tried to look out for her. And this is why I was saying, like I really have a different perspective on him today because he was always trying to help her. She had two kids that she would lost custody of and he wanted her to get back. You could almost tell his disappointment when he popped in. He didn't acknowledge me. He didn't acknowledge Cindy. He didn't acknowledge Harry. He popped his head in. said, good morning, Jamie. And the first thing that Jamie said was, everything in the trunk is mine. And he said, step out of the car. She said, everything in the trunk is mine. Nobody else knows anything what's in those bags. And I said, holy shit, because in my head, I'm like, I'm going to fucking jail. I didn't know what was in those bags, but I know it wasn't good. I helped her carry them to the car. It wasn't closed. Everything in this car is mine. I said, wow. They pulled me out of the car, one of those four that were shoulder to shoulder. Actually, I recognized one of them from running around with uh, Officer Chop. So good for him. He got promoted, obviously, from Antigua PD to whatever this task force was. So good on him. I recognized him. We kind of locked eyes for a second. And he made a statement that didn't occur to me until way later, what it might mean. But he made a statement. He said, uh, he's not wearing a rag. I don't know why he would have made that statement in that moment. But in hindsight, I used to wear two different rags. I used to iron my bandanas. It would either be a white one or a money green one. Imagine, if you will, it being folded corner to corner almost to look like a tie. And I would iron it flat. If I had a green one, and I would hang it right over my zipper, straight down the middle, because one side, if you wear a rag on one side, you're and If you're wearing a rag on the other side, you're with the bloods. That's not who I am. So I would wear it right down the middle. Sort of suggestive, but whatever. If I had a green one, that meant that I was working. If you needed something, we could talk. But if I had a white one, then it was chill time. Don't be talking to me about business. This is what, how I communicated whether or not I was working because I'm not having these conversations in open public. But when he said that it didn't dawn on me until later they pull me out. I'm immediately handcuffed and put in a cop car, the cop car that pulled in front of us. Cause actually when they lit me up, a guy came a sped around me and got in front of me and slowed down to ensure I didn't run. They put me in that cop car. They took Harry out of the back. They put him in the same cop car on the passenger side. I was on the driver's side in the back. And uh, Jamie got taken, immediately handcuffed, and put in the car that was immediately behind us. And Cindy got taken to the side of the road with a female cop. And this is when they started going through the trunk. In these bags were an entire mobile meth lab. Low scale, but enough to get it all done beakers, ingredients, heating elements, you name it, was in one bag. In another bag was everything you need to print checks and counterfeit credit cards, including the magnetic ink. And then there was a bag with some guns in it. I didn't necessarily learn about the exact contents until much later. At this time when this was all happening, I'm sitting in the back of the cop car and I was wearing my brand new Scoggin watch. Now it's not a pricey watch. It's 150 bucks or something like no big deal, but I loved it. And it was flopping on my wrist and I snapped out. And I was like, you motherfuckers broke my new watch. you mother!" And I'm shaking the car. I'm fucking furious. Well, the guy that I recognized and I didn't know his name. I just recognized the cop from running around with officer chops. Right. But anyway, he's the one that got me out. He pulled me, what's wrong? And I was like, you broke my fucking watch. He reclasps my watch for me. He goes, it's fucking fine. And put me back in the car. And so I was like, oh, my bad. Well, while I had that happening, Harry had realized, hey, these dumb motherfuckers got us in the car. and didn't take my cell phone. So I'm back in the car. He gets a cell phone out. We both have our hands cuffed behind us. So I'm like holding the phone. He's trying to dial the phone and we're just calling whoever, letting them know, hey, it's going down. Safety protocols, be prepared. Cause they're, if the, the way they popped us, it's about to go down, they could be popping anybody. So we started calling whoever we could to warn them of what's going on, but we couldn't hear the phone cause it's down by our butts. We're just yelling into the phone as best we can. At this time, Harry's making some phone calls, <laughs> some butt dials anyway. Now just to the driver's side of the car, I'm back by the quarter panel. They've somehow begun questioning Cindy over here, And I see her crying and I'm like, you motherfuckers, leave her alone. She's got nothing to do with this. So they're tired of listening to me back over to the side of the road. They go and she is just breaking down. Well, they were grilling her because the reality is, is they knew she wasn't from this world. She was just the girlfriend. So this is where they were going to get their information. After this is all said and done, it shared with me that they had told her. Come on, honey, you know that your boyfriend, you don't know that your boyfriend's a known drug dealer. And I was like, oh, I'm known. That's what I took out of that. Oh, I'm famous. You know, we sat on the side of that road for two hours, three hours. We really fucked up rush hour traffic hours. And I'm like thinking going to fucking jail for a long, long time. But they got us out of the car, both Harry and I, and sat us on the side of the road. And this is where I saw the bags and the bags open. And I was like, oh, fuck. (laughs) I'm going to jail for a really long time. You know, besides the the bags, there was the three dope pipes that they had found. So now, not only do we have all of this other stuff, because I was thinking, I was trying to justify to my mind, oh, well, Jamie just claimed everything, but that was in the trunk. I'm in control of what's in the cab here, right? And I've got three pipes loaded in the front seat because in the center console under the radio in a Honda Civic, there's like a little tray, and that's where I put the loaded pipes, and that's where they found them. So I'm definitely going for that. Well, after all these hours and Jamie just professing, it's all mine, it's all mine, it's all mine, it's all mine, it's all mine. God damn, if they don't tell us. All right, you guys are real fucking lucky today. She's taking the ride for everything unless you want to claim any of it. Now, I've told you guys in previous episodes, that's not what happens here. If one goes, they go for it all. Why should everybody go? And here's another instance of somebody saving my ass. It was just ingrained in who we were. If I was going, I had to take the ride for everything. The fact that she piped up before anybody could say anything is fucking gangster of this chick. But after hours of sitting there and with Harry and Cindy and I standing on the side of the road, we all just mouthed that we loved her and watched as she drove away and watched as the DEA van drove away and watched that they didn't fucking pick my keys up off the freeway and I had to go out while traffic was going to get my goddamn keys But we were saved that day, and I should have maybe took it as a sign. Hey, stupid. Nah, I saw it as a win. I saw it as a win, and you know what else? My girlfriend, the one they thought was the weakest link, didn't say a fucking word, and she very well could have. Because what she was looking at was some real fucking time, because they were trying to tell her, Honey, this is this car's registered in your name. You're going down for all of it. And she said nothing. I don't know what you're talking about. Now mind you, it was all behind a shitload of tears cuz she was fucking scared. This chick said fucking nothing. And she stood to drop for all of it. My girl's a fucking gangster. Shit, the girls I ran with, this ain't no jaw Rule bullshit, dude. The girls I ran with were real fucking gangsters. And they proved themselves more than the dudes I used to run with. So they pull away with Jamie. Off they go. And we get in the car and we all just sit there kind of in silence. Looking at this traffic not believing what we just got away with. And, you know, in hindsight, they probably let us all go because we weren't as scot-free as we had hoped, right? They probably had somebody that was watching where we went next. That's why we went right back to where we started. (laughs) We weren't going. There was no secondary locations. But as we drove down 120 to exit on Union to go back, I look on the windshield and I was like, motherfucker, look at this. And they left all three of my loaded dope pipes on my windshield, which was great because I really wanted to get high right now. <laughs> all three of them completely loaded, unbroken, unscathed. Pulled over, grabbed the dope pipes. I, I, I'll be honest with you, I don't even know that I waited to start smoking. I might have just been doing it while I was driving. It was fucking scary. It was fucking scary. But then I started thinking, hey, man, what was that comment about my rag? Well, you know what? The only way that anybody would know about that rag is if they've done business with me. It sounds like there's a squeaky wheel. Because that's not even a sign for everybody. I only started doing business at this level with certain people. Only certain people knew what the rag meant. So now we got a squeaky wheel. My girl isn't one, which is sick. But uh, there's a squeaky wheel. And I wonder this day, was was he telling me that somebody snitched? Why would he have said that? He had, there was no reason it brought nothing to the table in this scenario. You got to watch out who you run with. You got to pay attention to the people around you. You can always expect people to be exactly who they are. And when they tell you who they are, believe them the first time. Your gut tells you something. I always knew my girl loved me, and I always knew she was down for me. But fuck, that day, that's a whole new level of down. I don't suggest you wait to find out and have anybody prove that to you at that level. It's probably not what I'm suggesting here. There's fucking squeaky wheels in office buildings. People that love to take credit for your work and not say shit, or people that love to ride their daddy's coattails up to the fucking top floor when they go do fucking nothing as you bust your ass. There's people in the dope game. Fuck, they're easy reads, man. Them loud motherfuckers are snitching. Not all of them, but those are the ones I worry about. Why are you so loud, bro? Why are you drawing attention to you? Why are you so loud? You got to believe people and take them for who they are. And watch out for squeak of wheels, man. They're out there. Oh, man, and they show themselves constantly. If you like what you're listening to, please rate all five stars. If you'd love to give some feedback or some input, I would love to hear it. Reach out to me at My Madness Method on Instagram or mymadnessmethod819 at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time. My name is Jason Farias, and this is my Madness Method. Meth lab in the back, in the crack smoke peels through the streets like an early morning fog. Mama's in the slaughterhouse with the hatchet, helping daddy chop early morning haul. I'm catching Z's like an early morning saw when I woke up to the racket, yawning, pause. What the fuck, man? I can never get sleep, man. Peeped out the window. What's wrong with y'all?